This is Archive Atlanta, Episode 73, African American Parks. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, it's Friday. I don't know how happy it is. I know that the world is in a chaotic state and all over the planet, people are dealing with a daily changing reality about COVID-19. Here in Atlanta, I'm thankful to have a job that is less impacted than others, that I have the privilege to work from home when I need to, and that my family and my friends are healthy. But I know that that's not the case for everyone. Amidst this craziness, it's hard to continue focusing on side projects like this one that can kind of seem trivial at times. But my hope is that, as we're all stuck inside for weeks to come, maybe this podcast and these bits of history can inspire you to learn more or read more or engage more with things that might be right outside your window. At the very least, I hope it can be a way for listeners to escape the news cycle and take a mental break. And maybe all this heaviness is why I picked a fairly heavy topic for today, African American Parks. This all started with research on amusement parks. Somewhere in the depths of the newspaper archives, I came across the mention of Herd Park and then Coney Park. And to be honest, I had never, ever heard of these. In all my reading and all my studying, when it came to the history of recreation spaces for Black Atlantans, I only knew of Washington Park, which I think most locals would agree. After 1890, Black Atlantans were barred from park or recreation spaces in Atlanta. In that decade, the influx of African-American migration into the city was at its highest point. There was cotton, pests, boll weevils, which were ruining crops, and lynching all over the state was at an all-time high. This week, I'm sharing the earliest stories of the African-American fight for park space, who led these fights, where some of these places were and are, and how strongly they were fought against by white Atlantans. We start the story with two men. Jackson McHenry was captain of the Black Militia Corps, the governor's volunteers, and later a delegate at the 1904 Republican Convention. He was a hackman or a hack driver, which was simply a carriage driver, but very active in political matters and issues in the black community. His friend, Captain Moses Bentley, was seen as his successor, and he started as a barber who apparently was Alondo Herndon's competition, um, but he moved quickly into being a political powerhouse. I bring up these men because it was they that came up with the idea for the first African-American park in Atlanta. In 1892, the pair set their plans for a colored park near the site of Clark University. It was going to have a racetrack for horses, um, a place to take carriage drives, 10-pin alleys, and, quote, everything just like the white folks, end quote. The idea was to divide the stock into super small, inexpensive shares so that the poor people of Atlanta could buy into it and ensure its creation. The sad part, it never happened. Mention of the park in newspapers disappears, and I assume the project never got off the ground. Just five years later, Moses Bentley established the idea of a Negro colony, he called it, which was he wanted to put in an abandoned ghost town along the Georgia coast. In 1903, it's said that he bought 200 acres over in Constitution, Georgia, which was the name of a community before the Civil War. Today, that area is Constitution Road and Entrenchment Creek Park. Um, so this is a rabbit hole I'm not going to get into right now, but I'm definitely going to put this on the mini episode list because he was a really fascinating guy. Fast forward to 1901. A white former police officer, N.R. Hurd, built a summer resort for black citizens on Mary Street in the Pittsburgh neighborhood. This location was easy to get to on Fort McPherson streetcar line, and the neighborhood already had a sizable black population. 
A 50-foot-long hall was erected, and the Salvation Army even held special events here. By 1903, it was listed as being leased from Heard by Moses Bentley. So here he is again. He doesn't have his own park, but he is running one himself. There is some confusion on the name. Um, it's listed in one source as the Liberty Traction Park, but I think it was called Herd's Park informally since he was the owner. In 1903, the park made headlines for disorder and drinking. J.P. Sperlin, who was a contractor and a neighbor, applies for an injunction against Herd and Bentley. He claims his family is highly disturbed and wants the operation closed down. A temporary injunction is filed, but surprisingly, Judge Lumpkin sides with the park management and allows it to remain open. Sadly, we don't know how the story of Hurd's Park ends. In March of 1906, grading began for the construction of Washington Park, but not the Washington Park you know and love today. This land was over in Capitol View, at the corner of Stewart Avenue, which is now Metropolitan, and Dill Avenue. At this time, this was still the outside of city limits. It's not really developed into Capitol View yet, um, and the grand plans for this land involve a pavilion that would fit a thousand people, an administration building, an auditorium that could become a dance floor when not in use, and then promenade outside and about $5,000 worth of electric lights. The park would be fenced on all sides and guarded by white guards and white police officers. The guard at the entrance can refuse to admit anyone who, quote, has the first appearance of a troublemaker, end quote. I'm sure you're all sitting there eye-rolling as hard as I was when I read this, um, but these things were strategically advertised to the neighboring white community to ensure that this park would happen. It turns out it wasn't enough. In a climate that would produce the race riot just months later, the original location for Washington Park was too close for comfort for white Atlantans. The site was never developed as a park, but it was later used for Capitol View Baptist Church, and now it is the metropolitan branch of the um, Atlanta Public Library. So you should all know about the 1906 race riot because you listened to episode 19, right? In summary, on September 22, 1906, a four-day race riot occurred in Atlanta that became international news. White mobs numbering in the thousands, killing African Americans, and inflicting property damages in their businesses. Less than one week after this historic racial terrorism, the fight to establish Woodlawn begins. The sole purpose of this proposed municipality was to incorporate a town and then stop the operation of, you guessed it, an African American park. Coney Park was owned by Arthur Langford and nicknamed the Colored Ponce de Leon. Obvious reference to the park that stood on the site of today's Ponce City Market, which I talked about in the last episode. Um, but when Ponce de Leon Park opened, it was strictly for white Atlantans, and it was nicknamed the Coney Island of Atlanta. 72 neighbors signed the petition, stating that they feared that the, quote, hordes of Negroes would come out from the city to visit the park, and women of the neighborhood are afraid to go out without an escort, end quote. I haven't been able to make an official connection, but Woodlawn was the name of the estate of Evan Howell over in the West End. Around 1905, he auctioned off most of his large land lot, um, and he just kept like two acres around his house, and he sold the rest for development. So just a few months later, he dies, and the residents petition to make a city park in his name. So I'll get into that more in the West End episode, but I imagine the residents, which were described as living very close to the West End or in the West End, got the idea of this new town's name from this property. Now, the area they're fighting to incorporate is described as being between Atlanta and the Chattahoochee River. 
which is a giant piece of land. The residents themselves live along Mason and Turner's Road, which is the old name for Donald Lee Hallwell, which is the new name for Bankhead. Um, and they also says adjoining Battle Hill, which is kind of near current day Westview. In a later article, the land was further described in detail as lying between Simpson Street, Proctor Creek, and Bellwood, which is now Marietta Street. It would take 92 acres of the city dumping ground. So from what I can determine, this is the area of the Westside Reservoir Park, or Bellwood Quarry. It was owned by Arthur Langford and others, um, and his name barely appears in the paper at the time. So being 1906, kind of referencing the history of this and other small parks, I'm going to assume that he was white, but I don't know for sure. The first bill from this group of citizens that they wanted to pass was trying to say that counties having large cities of certain size populations would not be allowed to have resorts like this. And the crazy thing is that they had a massive pushback from neighboring counties of Cobb, Campbell, and DeKalb. Not for any other reason except that these counties were afraid that if they incorporated and pushed this park out, the park would then come to their county. Judge Pendleton refuses to sign the order. His case is that the city of Atlanta has already designated this area to be used for fire and city services, especially since there's a dump there, um, and that two municipal corporations cannot exercise the same powers over the same territory. Arthur Langford is over here saying that this whole thing is solely to shut down his park and demand what he can do with his land. The way the government is set up at the time, the Georgia General Assembly establishes cities, but it leaves towns and villages to the state Supreme Court. So when Judge Pendleton quashes the plea to form Woodlawn, residents lose their mind. They went and got a mandamus, which is the only way to appeal a Superior Court decision, and this is one of the first times it's ever used in the history of the state. And I'm not a lawyer, so I could be getting this wrong, but I think it basically forces the judge to revisit the case and kind of re-rule on it. Um, and this goes all the way into 1907. So although the print media abandons the story, which kind of confirms for me um, the fact that we don't have a woodlawn town or village now, it's safe to say that the initial decision was upheld. There is, however, a woodlawn avenue on the same land. So that kind of makes you wonder a little bit. Now we're back to the story of Washington Park. After its failed attempt at establishing what is now Capitol View, new plans are made in the growing black suburbs of the West Side. Before 1919, Ashby Street acted as a color line, meaning that if you lived east of Ashby Street, you were black and closer to the historic black colleges of Spelman and Morehouse and Atlanta University. If you lived west of the line, you were white. To draw white families to live in these newly planned subdivisions, the city opened the Ashby Street School. But once the plans for Washington Park came around in 1919, um, this was going to be the first city park for Black Atlantans, no white family would buy west of Ashby. So 1919 is considered the year that, quote, the color line was broken. Developer Heman Perry purchases hundreds of acres to create subdivisions for Black families. It's a biracial church coalition that deeded the first piece of land, so almost seven acres, for the park, which was at Lena and Ollie Streets. The development of the park didn't really kick off until about two years later. Originally, it included a dance hall, pavilions, swimming pools, tennis courts, and it was home to many sporting events. Over a period from 1922 to 1928, the city of Atlanta purchased more and more land and expanded the footprint. 
The last city land was bought in 1926, and in 1928, white businessman David Woodward deeded the last several acres. It then totaled 25 acres, which is roughly what we have now. The first high school for African-American students, Booker T. Washington, opened in 1922, and this really solidified Washington Park, not just as a park, but really a neighborhood. I mean, it's certainly going to have its own neighborhood episode in the future. In the late 1940s, the city of Atlanta squabbled with Fulton County over appropriations for more African-American park space. Mayor William Hartsfield is heavily courting the black vote around this time, and he pushes Fulton to commit to building a new park, or at least sharing the cost with Atlanta on two parks. In 1947, the city approved a park in the Pittsburgh neighborhood, and Fulton County agrees to build Anderson Park. Both Anderson Park and Pittman Park were completed by about 1950, and they are both still around today. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 would desegregate places like public parks, and so the history of this comes to a bit of a stopping point. But I hope that this story on the struggle of Black Atlantans for park space um, of their own can really help you either appreciate these parks um, if you go to them or whatever park you choose to go to. Like I get, like I've said before, I think 2020 is going to be my year of looking a little bit deeper into the land and into the shape of the land and kind of who controls the land. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, remember to leave a rating or a review. I just added a bunch of new mini episodes over on my Patreon page. So if you are self-quarantining and need more content, I have a link in the show notes. Jokes aside, I hope everyone is doing as well as they can be. And please reach out to me. Let me know if there's a story or a place you've always wanted to know more about and how I can help you know. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll see you next week.